When you wake up in the morning, do you look in the mirror and see a bald little baby face? Is that really how you want to live your life? If so, then good for you. But if you want to become a burly man with a nice and luscious beard, get your hands on Burly Maine Beard Care. That is Burly Maine Beard Care. You can find information about them and their product line at Wild Maine Care on Instagram. That is at Wild Maine Care on Instagram. Let's go. Are you motherfuckers thirsty? Because it's juice box time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Juice Box Time podcast. I am your host, David Lee McAllister. Guys, today's show is a first of many to come. We had the pleasure of speaking with the big Pat Jankowitz. Pat is a writer, actor, whose ties span across a multitude of different actors, writers, directors, etc. This was my first ever interview, guys, so... If you bear with me, I am a novice, I do realize. Uh, We did also have a slight audio issue initially, but we rerouted around that issue to make it still possible to do this interview, so I still hope you enjoy it and do listen to it because he was such an interesting guy. He goes on to tell me and Malcolm about his former career in the the movie industry in Hollywood, and he goes on and tells a very heartfelt story about his brother Tom Jankowicz. Uh, After this episode, guys, go check out Pat's work like... Just when you thought it was safe, a Jaws companion. Like I said, this guy was so fun to talk to, and we really do hope you guys enjoy. Let's go. Pat, just go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are as a person and uh, what you do to let our audience know kind of who you are, man. Oh, all right. Um, My name is Pat Jankowitz. I I write for a bunch of magazines. I've written about three books. I've done about 30 commercials and some other movie stuff. uh, I've done some stuff in special effects. It, it basically, because I'm six foot nine, it's basically creature work. Which is you, usually you grunting under about five pounds of prosthetics. Um, other than that, I, I do uh, I, I do some copywriting and other stuff on the side. You know, everybody has a side hustle. You know. Yeah, of course. And uh, one moment. One thing that I was kind of wanting to discuss, because I am a film guy too, I was uh, I used to go to film school down in Florida. I don't know if you've ever heard of Full Sail University, uh, but I was going down to school or down there in school, and uh, I just wasn't able to kind of fulfill my whole uh, college career because it was a little bit too expensive for me. But being a film guy and all, I just kind of wanted to discuss like your filmography and some of your credits with you, man. Is that okay for you? Yeah, like one thing that I saw on your IMDb page was like a lot of your, uh, like a lot. I saw you have an insane catalog in your in your uh, filmography, man. So congratulations with that. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. Not a problem at all. Um, so I saw on here like we're we're kind of leaning on towards the comedy aspect with our podcast. So we were just kind of wanting to talk to you with your like comedy connections because I saw here in a couple of your credits like the Tim and Eric Awesome Show. You were an audience member, and then then the um, Eric Andre Show. You had a credit. I saw. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Whoa, whoa. Tim and Eric, you gotta understand. I'm an audience 
member in the Crimbus. That was their Christmas episode. Yeah, I saw that. Now, I've been, I've worked with them going all the way back to Tom Goes to the Mayor. You know, I, I did it. When, when you see my brother and I in the Crimbus, that's their, their mock Christmas episode. When you see my brother and I in the Crimbus episode, people in the row being introduced are people who appear on the show over five times. Wow. So I'm, I've been, uh, I did about nine or ten Tim and Eric's. That's to my brothers, Don and Steve. You know, the, the brothers and Kitty Cat Man. Uh, I'm in the Coma Guy episode where one of them is in a coma trying to wake the other one. Mm-hmm. We were in a bunch of, the, the, uh, I think my favorite episode was, uh, one of my favorite episodes is Road Trip. Where we're watching, uh, I believe, Tim's parents having sex. Oh, Jesus. My brother, my brother Donald is the sleazy cameraman who's filming his elderly parents having sex. Um, and on the Eric Andre show, uh, they loved us on Tim and Eric, so they brought, you'll see my brother and I, we carry in, I think, Missy Elliott. Oh. Okay, my brother Donald's character's name, uh, it's the girl who played Missy Elliott in some BET movie. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Well, anyways, nonetheless. So yeah, so it wasn't this guy. It was fake Missy Elliott. But they put us in these fog costumes, which were made of green screen. So you'll see our floating heads bring in the fake Missy Elliott. <laughs> That's funny. That is hilarious, <laughs> man. Because when they explained, like Eric Andre's show explains me what. They were crazier than Tim and Eric because you're thinking, wait, are you putting heads carrying a woman? <laughs> whereas, uh, uh, whereas Tim and Eric, again, going all the way back to Tom goes to the mayor, you'll see me, the, the, they shrink me down to five feet tall. I'm six foot nine, but they shrink me to five feet tall, and you'll see me appear on the show in animated form repeatedly. I, I, I'm... Uh, the, 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 the single, the, the, the couple's cruise, divorce therapy, whatever that was. I'm in that episode with Gary Shandling. You'll see me walking around the boat in animated form. I'm also in line to see the mayor to show him a painting I made of a cat in another episode. <laughs> Again, I love Tim and Eric. I can't explain them. I love them dearly. Um, yeah, so they're great, great, great guys. And... They throw a really great Halloween, uh, Christmas party once. They're, they're just amazing people. And half the people you see on the show are exactly what they are in real life, which is mind-blowing. I mean, I did. I, I do think that they're kind of like a more raw, raw humor and raw comedy, really. Like, it's not for everybody, but for, for those who do find it funny, they really find it funny, you know what I mean? Cats. The people around them are great. The people who run the uh, awesome show, great job, are great, great people. They're just everybody in that show is so nice and cool in front of and behind the camera. They're just they're good people, you know. And right. One of the great things about them, I watched Tim and Eric going through headshots of submissions, and I heard one of them say to the other, one of them said to the other, "Oh my God." They did a picture of this old woman, and she was on the original Kung Fu. And they said, we have to hire her. She was on Kung Fu. They were like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, when, and they, 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 you love it when, they, when they're on the bulletin board, when they pick somebody they want on the show, they put a thumbtack directly through the, the forehead of the headshot. 
Right. And another thing I was wanting to ask you is I saw that you were uh, a background actor, a, a uh, title is at, as a goon in the movie The Rundown with The Rock. I, I like that interested me because uh, I believe in the in the the rundown somebody gets like what was called uh, what was it called Malcolm? It was a uh, his move the rock, rock bottom. bottom. The, were you the guy that got rock bottomed by The Rock? No, first of all, we were background in that. We're goon one and two because we're in the credits. What we were, uh, we were working for the boss. You would see us working for the boss at the beginning of the episode, at the beginning of the movie when he goes on the mission. So, Christopher Walken's character? No, no, no. Uh, 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 Stifler's dad. Okay, okay. okay. Um, I mean, one terrible thing about that is because um, they wanted a cameo by Arnold, and we, we spent literally three weeks with The Rock, and he was an extremely, extremely nice guy. The director, Peter Berg, is a wonderful, wonderful guy, and co-producer Eric Heffron. Co-producer Eric Heffron is an amazing guy. He worked on the Spider-Man movies with Sam Raimi and everything else. Wow. So, and the, the guy playing our boss, who's Stifler's dad in the movie, Stifler's dad, because he had such an amazing resume, I wound up putting him in my... I was doing a two-pound book on The Incredible Hulk at the time. So I was able to, he, this actor is so busy, he's on Sons of Anarchy and everything else, Bill, he was so busy, otherwise I couldn't have got him, so literally during our lunch breaks, I interviewed him on doing his two episodes of The Incredible Hulk, a very, very nice guy, and uh, when we did the rundown, they wanted Arnold, and one of the deals Arnold made with them is they had to put a stuntman friend of his in the movie. And so you'll see my brother and I playing cards at the beginning of the movie. Wow. And we're at the end of the movie where you see my brother and I, the rock tricks us into eating this fruit, which makes our heads expand and we fall over. What happened is they cut a deal with Arnold. If they put Arnold in the movie, and he's in a scene with my friend Paul Power, the famous artist who designed Predator, the producer who storyboarded the movie Predator. That is insane, so, man. So for getting the stuntman in the movie... Arnold wanted the stuntman to fight the rock in like the rainforest and they were already done with the rainforest footage so he wound up grabbing our bit at the end of the movie but if you watch that sequence when they eat the fruit you'll hear they play the sound of my brother and I eating the fruit from the original scene so wow. you'll hear and see us at different places in that movie I know it's weird but I again I just cashed a $20 check from it all these years later so I have no complaints <laughs> no complaints and there the was incredible. not the rock Dwayne is what he, he would walk up and say call me Dwayne uh, Dwayne Johnson was really sweet uh, uh, Sean who played you know who played the uh, Sean the, William Scott Scott yeah Scott uh, the, the great thing about Scott who played I hate to call him Stifler because that's not fair to him but Scott who played uh, the kid in the movie he and my brother and Peter Berg were all former movie theater ushers in high school and college, so we laughed about that. And I remember Dwayne Johnson was up for two movies, and he came and, he, and they were both remakes, and he asked me about both movies, and one of them was Walking Tall. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought I thought one was Walking Tall. Yeah, that's I, what I, I was going to ask. Movie. I like that movie a lot as well. Well, that's the funny thing. The other was a horror movie. I won't mention because I think he's still trying to get it off the ground. And it was a remake of a classic horror movie. And I pushed him to do the classic horror movie. I go, oh, because I'm thinking, how can we be beautiful? Tusker and walking tall, you know. And so when we were talking about 
fucking tall. One of the brilliant things about him is Dwayne leans over to me, because you heard Berg and I talk about movies, and you know, I was a movie buff, and I wrote for like Wizard and all this other stuff. So he goes, of the classic horror movie, how many sequels did they make? And I, make, and I go, oh, one. And he goes, Washington, how many did they make? I said four in a TV show, and I think he pretty much made up his mind at that point. <laughs> oh, my God. You can tell four in a TV show was the magic answer. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, and his mom, his mom in the Walking Tall remake, his mom is the scientist who revives the Incredible Hulk. In the, uh, she's in Death of the Incredible Hulk. So I got her from that. Rundown got me all these Hulk actors from my, my two-pound magnum opus at the time. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, so, I, I, so we're bummed not to be in the end of the movie, especially my brother Donald, because Peter Berg... Peter Berg gave Donald the line where he tells The Rock to tell, to tell Dwayne Johnson, sit down and shut the F up. <laughs> and Dwayne was laughing and he said to Don, I just want you to know that's not going to get past the first test screen. My friends weren't allowed that. <laughs> so, it's because he's standing there, he says, this kid doesn't use a gun. My brother Donald cocks the gun, looks at him and says, sit down and shut the F up. And sure enough, Pete Berg was really happy to tell Don and I, yeah, they burned that line at the test <laughs> Just nobody telling, the, telling him to sit down and shut the F up, you know. So we thought that was funny. What was that to So, uh, I, like, just like I was saying, like, your catalog of movies that you've been in is really incredible like The Rock Kevin Spacey uh, I see here that you were in the movie Gangster Squad with Sean Penn Ryan, Ryan Gosling Emma Stone Giovanni Nabisi you want to hear a hard life stories that's heartbreaking I'm in the scene where they're planning the movie theater shooting I'm the masseuse working on the gangster's back uh, on the big hairy gangster's back <laughs> I have like three lines with Sean Penn but that's where they're talking about the movie theater shooting, and then that nut shot up Batman, and the whole scene went to hell. Now when they see, the, now when you see the scene, they cut it abruptly because they can't talk about the movie theater shooting because the nut in the bat, the, the the trailer for Gangster Squad was playing in front of the Batman sequel in Colorado where the nut shot up the theater. Right. You can actually see the movie theater shooting. I have an actress friend who had a big moment. It was like a $5 million scene at Grom and Chinese when they're shooting. The gangsters are gunning down the audience. What was that? I'm sorry? a friend of mine. She has this big line where her husband's born away in front of her and she stands up. You can see her in the trailer. They spent $5 million at Hollywood Boulevard shooting this. And because of that nut in Colorado, they cut that entire sequence. Oh, wow. Wow. They had fake red cars going down Hollywood Boulevard. They paid $5 million. I haven't seen a movie shoot on Hollywood Boulevard that paid that much since Hancock, which I was on the set of. You know. And Don says when, uh, when, when uh, they were shooting in downtown Hollywood, the set cop from, uh, from Gangster Squad wound up shooting the real guy who was shooting at Hollywood Boulevard. Oh, my goodness. He told me we had a gun not to kill a music producer on Hollywood Boulevard, but the subcop from Gangster Squad is the one who shot this POS dead. You oh know? my goodness. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Not very funny, but true. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, like, one aspect of our show is kind of to take stories from your life, whether they be good, whether they be bad, uh, and just kind of talk about them as well as, like, kind of... 
finding humor and finding light at the end of the situation. So uh, if you're comfortable with it, man, you don't have to if you don't want to. But I always want to talk uh, talk about uh, your brother Tom. Um, I'm always happy to talk about my brother Tom. He was my hero. Well, like I see here that he created the movie um, Point Blank or Gross Point Blank. Point Blank. He got in his underpants at three in the morning. <laughs> well, like I have, I've. Being a young guy, that's one movie that I've never seen. So I ran, I, I read the synopsis of it, and it just seems absolutely insane, man. It looks like a, a great script. Like the 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 just the I don't really know what I'm saying here, but the plot of the whole movie just seems like it's a great movie. So I really can't wait to watch it after this. But just talking about it, like what was like being around him? What was the influence that you saw like in him, like doing that in his grind? Well, he's my, he was my big brother, so, you know what I mean? I mean, Tom influenced everything for me, you know what I mean? I mean, uh, uh, I wrote as a kid because he wrote, when I started doing magazine articles in college, you know, uh, Tom was really shy, and, and the weird thing is, he sold that, he sold that, he sold the screenplay for a million five to Steven Spielberg called Kung Fu Theater, which was his big, big sale. You know, Gross was his first sale. Yeah, I was actually going to talk to you about that. So, Gross, because he was famous for the comedy, you know, selling a story, lead screenplay, and Gross Point Blank. He wound up doing punching up on a lot of other people's scripts. You know, the studio would bring him in, throw him some money to add jokes to here and there, and a bunch of different stuff. And I think he, one of his regrets was he wanted to write more original stuff. And he grabbed, he grabbed like short term money here and there. You know, by punching up other people's stuff. And he was so happy with Gross because it was a completely original screenplay. He was invited to his, um, he was invited to his 10-year class reunion back in Michigan. And he was out here at the time. And at the time, he wasn't where he wanted to be. Was that 2013? Uh, he was teaching. He was doing a little bit of copywriting. And he was also working at an all-night grocery store. <laughs> so he was sort of hating his life. And when this invitation came in, he was thinking of his old girlfriend, Debbie, and everything else. Mm -hmm. And he basically romanticized himself into a, uh, into a hitman for the script. And the funny thing about it is, even though it's completely set in Michigan, they shot it about 10 minutes away in Monrovia. So I know he was really pleased. They took pictures of him in front of the, uh, in front of the Welcome to Cross Play Michigan signs in, in uh, Monrovia, 10 minutes from our door. They're faking all these Michigan things. They have fake Michigan license plates. Mm -hmm. They have fake Michigan signs in the window for the Detroit News and the Detroit Free Press for Verners. And I, for him, it was really surreal. I, I remember, um, I remember sitting, standing with him at the premiere. You know, um, we're drinking out of champagne flutes. It was the, the, the after party was this giant place in downtown Westwood. You know, and mm -hmm. they're beaming. It's at the Armand Hammer Museum, and they're beaming the uh, they're beaming the logo into the sky. We're watching Drew Barrymore, who's not in the movie, uh, dancing slow dancing with Patrick Dempsey, who's also not in the movie. And I just look at my brother, and I go, uh, "Can you believe you wrote this at three in the morning in your underpants?" You know, because <laughs> <laughs> that was the writing style. So uh, he, would, he, would just, he would come home every night from this late-night job, and he would just vomit everything he'd come up with for the movie onto the computer. And it was a very funny script, and it was, and, you know, it, there, 
understand that completely i lost my dad when i was 13 years old so like not getting the chance to ever like get the ability to um kind of get his recognition you know what i mean and get like recognized for growing up to be a man myself you know what i mean but like Exactly. You know, so, yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. And you and the worst for you is you lost him even younger. You lost him when you were, you're 13. You don't know Jack Ass at 13. You know what I mean? I mean no, I'm 22, man. I'm trying to learn as much about the world as I can. You just have to, you just have to try and, you know, live by the stuff he taught you before then. And that's the hard part about being a kid. You know, you know. Because I, I sympathize. My mom, my mom, I lost my, my mom got sick when I was in high school, you know. And so senior year of high school, you have everyone planning proms and everything else. And I'm thinking, is my mom going to be alive when I graduate from high school? Is she going to be alive when I graduate college, you know? Yeah, of course. So It's a, it's a bummer conversation, but you played <laughs> this over in your head many times, I'm guessing, you know. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, one thing I was wanting to ask you is, have you seen um, this Uproxx? It's a website. Uh, it's got an article about your brother's movie, and it says, Exploring the secret influence on the 90s classic Gross Point Blank seems to have on uh-huh. modern pop culture. Okay, this was written last year in 2019. Um I was reading it, but before I, when I was reading the synopsis, okay, so John Cusack in the movie plays a hitman who wants to live a seemingly normal life, correct? Right. And have you watched the the HBO show Barry at all? Okay. Uh, there is an in, there, dude. The correlation is ridiculous. Friends have sent me that article you mentioned in Upbox 
agree with it. I mean, it was one of these gross point blank because it was this little movie. It was this little, you know, it was this little movie, and most people discovered it on cable when it started playing and playing on cable. Mm-hmm. People were in love with the soundtrack. It was like a darker version of the other '80s comedy at the time, which was uh, uh, Romeo and Michelle. Romeo and Michelle go to their high school reunion. You know what I mean? I mean, they made literally these two '80s type high school reunion movies. Gross was the darker of the two, and I think Tom was always part of it. He would get one thing. My brother, like uh, the rest of my brothers, we were insomniacs. I'm usually up in the middle of the night writing. And my brother would get an email, or my brother would get a phone call from somebody who'd watched Cross Point Blank in the middle of the night, and they just needed to talk to somebody. And they would literally reach out to my brother. I knew my brother, my brother was a very private cat, you know, he, he wasn't in SAG or anything. He didn't, he didn't like to be in front of anything. But when people told him, you know, with this dark night of the soul, you know, usually where they, they were where he was when he first wrote the script. You know, they were, they had a job they didn't really love, and they they were feeling really dark stuff. They would literally look him up. They would look him up in the phone book because my bro, my bro again was a very private cat. You know, you know, if, if Tom did anything public, you had to kind of force him into it. He didn't. With my interviews, I had access to everybody, and he explained to me. He would only come if it was somebody he really, really wanted to meet. And so I made a point of interviewing childhood heroes of ours. I interviewed a, a, a screenwriter who's now gone. who was a big influence on us named Jeffrey Bum, who wrote Lost Boys. He wrote Indiana Jones' Last Crusade. Yep. Interspace. Fantastic writer. Tom wanted to write Gross after we did two interviews in one week. We interviewed Jeffrey Bum, who's gone now, a great writer, another guy who's gone. Harry Essex, who wrote Sons of Katie Elder, Creature of the Black Lagoon. We interviewed these guys in the same week at two different places in the valley. And there was such an influence on Tom that he just sat down and banged out Gross. And after Gross, again, he started doing structure work and rewrite work. And then when he finally got around to writing another original, it was Kung Fu Theater, which, again, Spielberg and Amblin have held on to for a long time. And I think it's with... uh, I think it's with one of the Google appears now. They still have the rights to it. it, it was, there were so many. There were so many attempts to make the movie. Well, Michael- ironically, at one point when they were going to do it with uh, bird, bird flu broke out in Canada. My question for Canada, that movie the was: bird flu pandemic came out, you know, in that territory. So they moved to the Canada, and then bird flu spread there. They, they had a comedian who was going to star in it, and then they found out the comedian had a bad heart and couldn't be 30 feet in the air on wires. So, I mean, he was, he was, he was Jamie Foxx was involved with it. Jamie Foxx was going to make, uh, but he's not the one, Eddie Griffin was the one with the bad heart. And uh, Jamie Foxx had it for a while. It was just one of those scripts that every six months he would be called in to rewrite it for a different comedian. He'd have to put in jokes for that particular comedian. Mm-hmm. So, it I mean, with Tom, you know, he's always the Joel in your head giving you advice. You know what I mean? You're trying to remember his... I mean, my brother and I, my brother Stephen and I just talked about writing advice on a couple projects we did with him last night. One of them I'm turning into a comic book, which yeah. I, I can't mention here, obviously, uh, yet, but one of them I'm turning into a comic book, and it's funny because the, uh, the artist of the comic was telling me how great the script was, and... 
my brother Stephen called up with another script that had been optioned a couple times that they did and never made. And I just said, you know, we got to do something with it. It's a good script. People keep calling about it, even though it was never made. So it's, it's a good position of getting something out there. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Uh, one question. You the <laughs> <laughs> uh, one question I was wanting to ask was, um, with that kung fu theater movie being made or not being made, but being bought by uh, Spielberg and uh, DreamWorks and whatnot, and uh, with it never being made, but I see that Marlon Wayans and Jamie Fox, like you said, were attached to possibly star in it. Um, Another movie that I saw that had a correlation with that movie, just like in the plot-wise, it's like it probably didn't do very well in the box office. I'm not very sure. It was like a musical-type movie, but there was like a girl that figured out that she was stuck in a romantic comedy musical movie, and it just like I saw that like with the Kung Fu Theater movie, I saw that the slacker finds out that he's trapped inside of a Kung Fu movie. Because the female lead, at one point it was Kelly Hu from the X-Men movies and everybody else. I mean, it was one of the, it was one of the big hot scripts. And because we love kung fu movies, we've always loved kung fu movies. Mm-hmm. And, and he had so many references. There were dubbing jokes, there were these jokes, that jokes. And because it's a modern guy in a seventies kung fu movie, it had all the traits of a seventies. He's he's a basically in a Wu Tang kung fu movie. But once he enters, it's basically, you know, he's basically, it's, it's basically Enter the Dragon meets the Matrix. It was very funny. It was very different. Mm-hmm. And it just broke his heart. I mean, the Wayans brothers were great. He had a great meeting with the Wayans brothers. He said, I remember he was, he was really attached for a long time. He loved, the, he loved Marlon Wayans' approach to it. And when he was at the Wayans brothers' offices, my brother was blown away because they had framed posters for Al Pacino's Scarface everywhere you looked, which of course was a family favorite, you know, and uh, uh, it's just, it, it broke his heart because, and you're right, that script, the, the dance movie was obviously, uh, uh, the dance movie was obviously inspired by the script that came through, and, and you know, it had an influence, and it made my brother happy because... Uh, the little touches, when people are moved by your work, how can you not be happy? I, I remember, this is heartbreaking, when he died, I had got him an issue of Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, my and, goodness. Know, I was winning the surprise on his birthday. But I got him an issue of Scott Pilgrim where, uh, uh, what's the name of the girl he's in love with? And, uh, something for Ramona Flowers. Ramona, yeah. Ramona Flowers in Scott Pilgrim versus the World, I think book two, she has a gross point blank poster on her wall. Oh my god, that's so awesome, dude. And I mean, that's him acknowledging the, the crew of Scott Pilgrim is acknowledging something he loves, Scott, uh, you know. And it's just, it was one of those things you really dig, you know what I mean? I mean, and I mean, I wanted to surprise him with it, so I never got to give it to him. He knew it was out there because people kept mentioning it. But, you know, that, it, it was heartbreaking. He never got to see it, you know. Yeah, that is, that's awesome that you did that for him, man.
you know, and he did, he did it. He read it after he made Kill Bill, so it was really, really amped up. He was, you know, he really wanted to make this movie because David Kennedy plays himself, and he's he's living in this, some of these kung fu movies because he's his biggest kid. He's being treated like a god by the locals. It was very funny. I mean, it was heartbreaking. It never got made, you know. Yeah, it is heartbreaking, man. And I mean, of course, my brother was happy because every six months we would say it's Marlon Wayans. You got to write a bunch of jokes for Marlon Wayans. Uh, one of the sidekicks in the movie was played by uh, John Lopez from Spawn. John Leguizamo from Spawn was going to oh, be wow. the sidekick, and at one point he was going to be the lead guy because he loved the script. So you know, it's one of those. It's just heartbreaking, you know. But at the same time, he loved that the script was so revered, you know. Of course. And of course. He got paid more than that than anything else because they kept paying him like a quarter of what they paid for the script to do the rewrites. So he told me, I remember he said on a walk one time, he goes, you know, I'd be happy to write and rewrite that script for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's funny. Because <laughs> he, he said he made work for himself because literally every six months for like a three-year period, they brought him back to redo all the jokes for another comedian. Wow. So it was, a, it was a good... And by the way, thank you for asking about Tom, you know? I mean, no, no problem, man. I had a conversation about working and running with Tom last night. So, I, I, again, I could talk about Tom all day, obviously. As a younger brother, he was a huge influence on me. Exactly, man. That's just what our show's about, is kind of just letting people into who you are and, like, how you experienced the experiences that you have went through. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah, no, the long amazing influence and he was he was it's funny because uh um you know writing during a pandemic i remember everything tom taught me growing up about writing you know what i mean i mean one reason i wanted to write is because my big brother and you know with the magazine stuff on the side my brother i would impress my brother if i bought him in on a really big interview i i because he didn't like to go on interviews he didn't really give a damn about celebrities or anything but if it was a writer he admired he was there in a heartbeat. I brought him along when I interviewed the late, great Richard Matheson, who wrote I Am Legend. Wow. And Richard Matheson was a huge running influence on him. And, and I remember when I was in junior high, uh, when I started junior high, and, you know, every kid has a horrible time in junior high. You had it worse because you were, you were at that tender age anyway, and then you, you lost your poor dad. You know, but I remember when I was in junior high and just hating my life. My big brother hands me a paperback copy of Richard Matheson's I Am Legend. You know, it's the last man on earth. And he's surrounded by basically these vampires who are craving his life and insanity. And he goes, this is about the time you need to be reading this book. And he was right. It was the perfect book for junior high. Right. Um, that's one thing that I was wanting to say was like with me being so young, I'm 22 years old. Like um, at 22... <laughs> Years, but I mean, the fact that you lost him so young, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, but like, are you an only child? What was that? I'm sorry, are you an only child? No, 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 like, I have my brother here, he hasn't really talked much because I've been so intrigued, been speaking with you. But my brother Malcolm, he's 29, um, he lost his father at what, what I was 10, yeah, he was 10 years old. My mom had uh, 
uh, children with uh, three different men. Uh, that sounds pretty bad, but. But anyways, me and my brother here and I, or me and my brother here, we just started this podcast a few weeks ago, and like, um, just like. With both of us losing our fathers so young, we kind of have a lot of childhood trauma and a lot of other stuff that went on during our uprising and whatnot. So we just wanted to turn that into a comedic sense and kind of bring people into let it, let them know who we are and like it's okay to struggle through life and the struggles it that. Really is. You know what I mean? I, mean uh, I mentioned my mom, and I remember my mom died the week before Christmas, and that was the weirdest thing. To be walking around wherever you go, people are smiling, people are laughing, and you're thinking, you just want to scream, my mom is dead, you know what I mean? I mean, oh, yeah. you go through, you're entitled to go through a dark period, I mean, oh, yeah. sometimes it can be, you know, it just makes you stronger. When you're losing my, you know, losing your parents so, you're losing your mom so young, I'm watching my friends you know, as adults losing their parents and they can't hold on to it. And it's like, wow, you know what I mean? I mean, I remember the hardest part about my mom being sick in high school is you're walking around and people are bitching about their parents and it's like, you have to bite your tongues you don't screw with them, you know what I mean? I mean, uh, oh, your mom is glad of you, huh? Well, what is your mom with dying? You know, you hold that in, but... It was, it was the, the importance versus the unimportance that really had to do the number on you, you know? Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine at this point I'm being 29, losing my mom now. I, I don't know how yeah, I would not, handle it. not even close, man. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not fair, you know what I mean? And uh, unfortunately, I'm not doing a bummy. The only thing worse than losing a parent is losing a sibling. It's like your soul is cut in half. It's, I've never felt anything as horrible as losing my parents was losing my big brother was even because you know all your shared memories are with this person this person and you are from the same people and everything as painful and terrible as the death of your parents and I don't want to bum you guys out and I don't want to ruin the podcast not at all man appreciate your siblings while they're hearing you guys because when you lose them there's nothing as painful as losing my parents was you know as painful and terrible and rotten as that is, losing a sibling is far, far worse. I can't explain it. It just, every one of your shared memories is with this person, growing up with this person. You know what I mean? I mean, your big brother helping you learn how to read and everything else and his advice here and there. I mean, losing a sibling is just, wow. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, uh, and unfortunately I was there when he actually passed. So it, it's, it's pretty miserable. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I know it's a comedy show. And we're ruining it, but... No, you're not you know, ruining it at all, man. It, make sure you're always on good terms with your siblings because I see friends who fight with their siblings or, or I, you know, I don't have the same relationship with my family you do, people. And it's like, well, you might want to think about it because when they die, you're going to have a really bad time with this, you know? Yeah, that was actually one of the, one of the other main reasons we wanted to do the podcast was because... You know, when when that time does come and one of us was to be gone, we can always have we can always go back and at least have these conversations that we've had recorded, and we can well, listen to. You know, that's very very important. And then the important thing about it is, it's just, and we're being serious here, so I'm going to talk seriously. I mean, losing your brother, it's the the 
you'll, you'll skirmish with other people because you're in a, in a bad emotional state. But, I mean, when you lose your brother, man, uh, you know what I mean? I mean, uh, uh, I have one sister and, uh, um, and two brothers left. But it's weird because you can only think of your family before Tom and after Tom. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, uh, that's how big an influence he was. You know what I mean? I mean, it's your brother. He taught you everything. You know what I mean? He taught you how to make your, your fist, and he watched your first balls in, in grade school and stuff. I mean, it's really, really weird because your brother, you know, you learn everything for your big brother, you know? And then... Mm-hmm. Uh, and my two male influences, my father and my brother, in the two-month period, are wiped out. It's very, very... I mean, a lot of you, it's very strange, you know? Yeah, and of course, don't think that you're, like, ruining our show by, by becoming vulnerable to us, yeah, man. I feel like I'm being a drag, so I don't <laughs> Not at well, all, that's, man. That's, that's, a, that's actually another very important thing to our show. We actually want people to be able to show their vulnerable side, to just let people know that through through all the sadness and then... You know, you deal with it, but we want to bring the comedy in as as buffer to that to basically relieve it, relieve the the stress that we go through every day. Because I mean, we we all go through shit like constantly. Right. I, mean, I, mean, I mean, right now we're in the middle of a global pandemic. I mean, this is something none of our, our, our parents or siblings or anybody has gone through. I mean, the last global pandemic was under two years ago. So what we're looking at here. This is something you'll be telling your grandchildren about. This is really freaky, you know? Yeah, How are you just, guys dealing with it? What are you up to? Uh, well, actually, we, it's weird because I, I actually wanted to ask because you were in L.A., but I'll, I'll tell you our end first. Being in northeast Indiana, it's it's not like it's changed too much. I feel like we're still probably running at 80% normal. Right. So, I mean... It's, it's not too much different. We're actually still working in the industry that we work in currently to support ourselves. And then I like that we wanted to give maybe maybe some of our listeners who are going through the same thing we are still having to work and whatnot an outside look at like what's what's L.A. like? Um, is it shut down? Is it? It's, it's basically effectively shut down. I mean, uh, we, we were well, five minutes before you called. A, a big military car chopper went over our house. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, where is he going? What do they know? You know what I mean? I mean, probably feels I like. To, uh, the, the, before the right before the pandemic camp down, I went with uh, Kevin Van Hook, the critter of Bloodshot. I went to uh, my brother and I joined our friend Kevin at the premiere of his movie. And we were at the Grauman's Chinese, and it was on a Friday night, opening day of Bloodshot. You know, we were going to support our friend, and it's rush hour in L.A. And I took the train down, and usually at rush hour on a Friday night, especially on St. Patrick's Day weekend, the bars are full. The nightclub district of Hollywood, yeah, the nightclub district of Hollywood is packed. And instead, the train... If the train, this, this, the train had less than 10 people on it, which is unheard of. Usually it's about 120 a car. So we're sitting by ourselves, and you can gaze through the train, and there's less than eight people on board, not counting the engineer. Yeah. We get to Union Station. Union Station is a friggin' tomb. We take that down to Hollywood Boulevard. Hollywood Boulevard, which should be full of commuters coming in and out, Hollywood Boulevard, when the train stops, 
less than four people are willing to get on. That's All insane. Half the bars were closed. The Pantages was closed. There were a couple bars open, and they only had a smattering of people. We go, uh, Bloodshot is playing in the big house, you know, and Kevin and his wonderful family are there. And there's less than eight people in the massive Guam and Chinese dome, and it's all his family. There's less than eight people, maybe two people bought tickets. Everyone else was scared stiff. We went to this, there was nobody there. Nobody really thought, and we liked the movie, everyone liked the movie, but nobody really felt like celebrating afterwards because the, the whole place, everyone had this kind of ashen, gray, concerned look on their face. I hope I'm, you know, I hope that person walking by me isn't ill. I hope I'm not giving something to my family. And I mean, you you know, and, and since then, it's been a total lockdown. People, you know, and then when people do throw, stupid enough to throw parties, people just call the cops on them. You know, and I mean, there's nothing going on. And it's the quietest Easter I've ever seen. You know, Easter Sunday morning, you're walking out in the backyard. Usually you hear music and the murmur of families. Nothing. Nothing. And, you know, uh, the roads are empty. I, I, I am a walker. So I've slipped out. I went on a, a three-mile, four-mile walk on Saturday night. And usually on a Saturday night, it's like midnight, you know, because you don't want to run into people. And, the, and this night, I think it was two cars in 40 minutes and only one person. I mean, the place is a tomb. I walk over, there's an overpass over the 210 freeway I like to jog down to. And mm -hmm. I over that, and pretty much the only cars you see going by are a couple cars here and there, mostly trucks, you know, and everything else is just empty. Well, what I was going to ask you was, does it feel like kind of like uh, Red Dawn at all over there with the helicopters flying over your guys' houses and everything? I, you know what? Red Dawn's an apt description. I've been comparing it to the first 10 minutes of every zombie movie. <laughs> wow. You know, I mean, it's the first 10 minutes when the illness starts, nobody knows what's going on. And I mean, my neighborhood is pretty bustling, and I come out, and I, I don't think I've seen a neighbor in weeks, you know, and... Uh, um, one of my neighbors, uh, uh, Laura, one, uh, the next door neighbor, really sweet gal, she's a cook, and she left for my brother and I for Easter. She left, uh, uh, she made cinnamon buns, and she left them on the porch. But you never, uh, other than that, there's no proof of any of my neighbors, you know? Mm -hmm. When one of my neighbors packed up and drove out, and my brother Donald was supposed to be, what does he know? <laughs> you know? I mean, uh, it's... And again, it feels like the opening of Independence Day or the opening of every freaking zombie movie where the CDC and no one else knows what the hell is going on, you know? Yeah, that's, I, mean, I mean, over here it's really kind of the same, but we, like Malcolm said, we are running at like 80% like as normal kind of. It seems like everything's running pretty normally over here. Well, I mean, they uh, obviously they've shut down... But we, Quite a bit of stuff. We have to take in mind that we're on the iron side of the, the country. Yeah, we have, I mean, we're in the Midwest, so a, a lot of stuff still has to function. We're in the country, basically. Yeah. Are you in Auburn? Uh, in, in Auburn? Yeah. Um, we're actually... Do you know where Butler is? About 10 miles from Auburn. Oh, okay. Makes sense. Yeah. That, the auctions, Auctions of America used to be, uh, what was it, before Duesenberg? Well, there was also 
That's the car. They were made in Auburn. Mm-hmm. He loves Auburns. He, he loves uh, uh, Studebakers as well. Gotcha. I'm doing something in Indiana for you, Hoosiers. Yeah, that's actually the funny thing is, is that that museum's where our high school prom was. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mine was in a dump called the Big Yellow House, which is now out of business. <laughs> oh, jeez. You know, uh, the cool thing is that you're dancing around a bunch of beautiful, expensive cars. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. There's honestly so many of those cool cars in there. And another crazy thing is that our mom works for a uh, – she's a bartender. She works for a guy who uh, owns a lot of, like, Model Ts, old uh, old Ford – or old Chevy Novas and a bunch of old Fords and whatnot. And he actually used to sell all of – a bunch of his cars to Auctions America and shit like that too. Yeah, I, I mean, they're, they're awesome. I just don't, I haven't ever had the luxury of owning one to this point. So maybe <laughs> maybe one day I'd like to get behind the wheel of one and actually see what they're about. <laughs> yeah, that used to be too much. When I was a kid, my first car, and, and you know, in the, in the late 80s, my grandmother gave me a uh, 66 Chrysler. And I was too stupid to put enough oil into it. <laughs> <laughs> I did that with a 93, I did that with a 93 Sentra. <laughs> Because of the fins and the giant hood and all that. At the time, I had a cool new car. It was a cool old car. Did too much work. I had one. My father knew this elderly, uh, another engineer he worked with. His elderly father would restore those cars, and I was able to keep this car going for a minimum amount of money. In Pomona, the the, the mechanic worked in Pomona, and unfortunately. He was robbed and murdered in his garage one night. The guy oh who uh, the guy who kept my car running. So once he once he was done, so was my car basically. That's <laughs> oh insane. My God. Yeah. So you know, so none of the tragedies off us. So uh, <laughs> what year did you guys move from Sterling Heights to Pomona? Early, well, we moved. We moved to the uh, suburbs. Um, early, early eighties. Early eighties. You know what I mean? I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Let's not get too much into the dates. I do work in LA. <laughs> you might want to cut that part. But yeah, we moved here in the eighties, and it was just—it was like a brave new world. You know what I mean? I mean, right. it was so different from the Michigan existence. Oh yeah, I mean, I can imagine. I mean, being in northeastern, I—I I was actually born in Fresno, California, but I moved. To, uh, I moved to the. I moved to the Midwest. Know. Yeah, that's the middle. They joke it's central California, in the middle of nowhere, but. Fresno, I think, was famous for the grapes, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I moved when I was three, so I don't know too much about it, but... Yeah, but you were in California, that's... Imp- to me, moving from Detroit to California was such a happy, cultural shock. You know, Michigan is very guarded and kind of stiff shouldered We're Southern once, if this thing picks up like we're wanting it to, um, kind of seeing how it goes, and if we're able to fund a um, move out there, then we're gonna do that in the co- in the next coming years. That like that's something that I've I think- always dreamt about. Personally, I've always dreamt about moving to Southern California, Los Angeles, somewhere along those lines. Well, I'll be honest with you guys, it's weird because in the last couple years, it's been more expensive than it's ever been. And now with this pandemic, you've got cheaper gas and 
everything else. So yeah, it, this could be a good thing when this wraps up. God willing, soon. You know what I mean? I mean, when this wraps up, prices could be way down. I mean, the era has never been better out here. You know? Oh yeah. I mean, I I can imagine with the less foot traffic, less car traffic, it's probably nice and fresh outside. It really is. I mean, and this is our rain season, so like on uh, Easter Sunday, it rained all day. It was just fantastic, you know. Mm-hmm. That's gotta I mean, be. Uh, it's gotta be nice to, to see. Me a giant piping hot cup of coffee, and you just sit there and watch the rain. It was pretty good. That does sound nice. Yeah, nice nice change as opposed to last year. See, so in Indiana, exactly, exactly. and then. I mean, to me, at least do an exploratory mission. You know, come out before you before you jump out. Make a trip out here and check out the prices and everything else to make sure right. that you're. Yeah, that, okay. yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I yeah, and I I've, I've been out a few times since. I still got family down in San Diego County, so I've been out. Perfect. So you're gonna well, you won't be able to swap with them this year because it looks like Comic Con isn't happening. So <laughs> that's unfortunate. Uh, we, we, I haven't been to any sort of... Um, I've been to Comic-Con in Indianapolis. Um, I've been to a couple other uh, conventions. <laughs> San Diego, baby. Go big or go home. Yeah, that's, <laughs> where, that's, where, uh, that's what I was saying. But it was a free trip with my school, so I just took the trip and went. So. Oh, you have to, yeah. Well, the weird, the weird thing is, because of my magazine work, I grab interviews everywhere, you know, and I even grab them at conventions. This thing is really the fun part of my jobs, you know, entertainment, journalists, and all that. It's really been a real pain. I mean, uh, uh, I was working on my fourth book, and I had about four interviews to go, and now everyone is too scared to get together, and I don't like doing photos, you know what I mean? I mean, this is different than a photo. This is three guys having a conversation, four when Don jumps in, but um, my brother, um, but to me, doing a phone interview is not this. I'm not, I don't mean this, but it's impersonal. You know what I mean? I like to see what the person, I like to see them thinking about the questions. I like, I like a thoughtful answer. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, 100%. And when I want to finish my book and people are like, can we do a phone And it's like, to me, there's an impurity to a phone for a book. I, I like to be sitting across from the person. I like to gauge the reactions. I like the I like the intensity of the answer. So when you when I'm interviewing you about about something for like a TV show or a movie you did, I want to see on your face because that'll lead to more questions. You know. Yeah. Of course, man. Yeah. Well, shit. When we come out to um, California, it, would it be okay with you if we possibly got an interview in person with you? Of course, I would take your ass to stand that burger. That'd be so <laughs> That'd be awesome. awesome. <laughs> Uh, all right, man. So we're thinking about wrapping up here soon. Uh, where can our audience members and everyone who listens to our show find you at? Like, what, what, what? Where can we, where can we push you out to? Well, um, gosh, well, you can check out my IMDb, or you could. Uh, uh, I usually post what I'm working on on Pat Jankowitz on Facebook, P T J A N K I E W I C Z, or you can check out the three Facebook pages for my books. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry, a hook companion, just when you thought it was safe, a jazz companion. And just to break up the monotony, Buck Rogers in the 20th century, a TV companion. So check out any of those four spots, and they usually let you know what I'm up to. Fellas, I'm so sorry to hear about your dads. 
We appreciate you. Just to let you know, you are our first uh, outsourced guest, and we do really appreciate. Let me know when I can post it on my Facebook page. I mean, this has been an interesting hour for me, so thank you very much. Yeah. Not a problem, we'll, man. We'll we really it. do thank appreciate you, you com- or you coming on and doing a phone interview with us, even though uh, it's not really your type of thing to do. We really do appreciate you doing it. Of course. Cool. Well, boys, I'll pause you. We'll do it in now when you're on the coast, okay? Yep, of yep, course. Have a great night, you. man. Have a good night. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Bye. Keep on, Alrighty, guys. That was Pat Jankowitz. P-A-T-J-A-N-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z. Go check him out, man. He was, he was a former actor. Uh, he's been on a huge catalog of films, guys. Like... That's also it has was, a radio show, right? He also has a radio show called Jeff and Janky. And um, honestly, I am completely not... Obviously, I'm not speechless because I'm talking right now, but I'm kind of dumbfounded with how quick that just happened, dude. Like, I mean, it was a weird experience coming from Sat Like, last week when you told me about the opportunity, and then Saturday the phone call happening, and then all this going down as quickly as it did is just a shock because it it completely changes the game for it us. It does, here. dude. And I mean, I really do appreciate you, Pat, if you do end up listening to this like thank you so much thank, for coming on. Thank you so much for coming on, man. It like, was a really cool experience. It, it gave was, us it gave us something to build off of because now we know that we we can do an interview. Exactly. Like that was my first interview I've ever conducted, man. Like any anywhere near interview so with i mean with him saying that like our questions were good and it just made that that's so awesome dude i that's so awesome it really is it was a great experience and i look forward to doing more of that into the future here me too it's it's been so crazy man today's been a crazy one guys well we really appreciate you listening in this has been the juice box time podcast thank you guys have a good night We would personally like to shout out our podcast hosting service, podbean.com. If you're interested in starting a podcast and putting it out to the world in easy step-by-step instructions, head to podbean.com to get started. That is podbean.com.